Here on Easter Sunday, we are uh, beginning a brand new series called His Story. See, this whole thing that we're living out, this, this thing that from the very beginning, from the very earliest part of creation, this whole thing is God's story. It's His story, and He has included us in it. We're not just a little sideline character. We're not a little blip on God's map. This is something that God has been charting along, and you are in the right place at the right time. And we're just wanting over the next three weeks, beginning with today, to look at what it means to be in God's story. And so if you've got your, your worship guide, your, your bulletin, your notes, whatever you want to call it, you can just crank that open. We've got your fill in the blanks there. And we can just follow along. Because see, this, <clears throat> when we begin to look at this, that God's story is ultimately about his love for us. From the very beginning when he so lovingly created, and we look at Genesis 1 and him, all of the, the steps of God creating and creating the perfect place to put humanity. That is an act of love. He puts <clears throat> Adam in the exact right spot, puts Eve in the exact right spot. From the very beginning, it is this story of love. Even when humanity turns their back and on God, the, it, the story continues of this love story of God bringing redemption and bringing people back to himself. And when we get to today's part, what we're celebrating today, when we get to the death and the resurrection of Jesus... This is the point where you and I get inserted into the, to the God drama that has been unfolding all along. You're like, oh, how are you and I inserted way back all those 2,000 years? Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But right there in that moment, you and I get inserted right there at that moment. It is a beautiful thing. This is, this is our story. This is our own story that God is telling. And when we look at the Easter story... It's about God giving us something we desperately needed, but we could not get on our own. And it's life. See, we found ourselves in a place where we were stuck in death. And we desperately needed life, and we could not get life on our own. See, lots of people try. They, they go in all sorts of directions. They, they do all these different things. They try all these programs, and ultimately they fail. Why? Because life only comes from the life giver. It only comes... From God. And we desperately, we desperately needed it. Now all of us go through different things and different things of need. And uh, you know, we've heard it said through uh, on different things where we, you know, where some people were needing one of the little communion cups. You know, they were, they were missing that earlier. So the, it worked to fulfill that need. And uh, we just have diff these different places of need in our life. And we, some of the needs we can kind of step up and take care of ourselves and others when you know there's some sometimes we need things that don't even exist that's why you get the old phrase necessity is the mother of invention you have this need you have this gap and then somebody figures out a way to uh, to step in and uh, and to make it happen and uh, and so where there's this there's this 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 need that will come up and you and I had a need for life well you know they say necessity is the mother of invention but, you know, when I was growing up, sometimes necessity, it had a father of invention at my house. And uh, my wife doesn't like that that, got, that that gene got passed down. Because, see, sometimes you just work with what you got. And uh, the whole thing of duct tape fixes everything. And uh, my wife says I'm like the ultimate rigor that I just 
figure out ways to make things happen. And a lot of times if we need something really done right, then we'll, we'll get somebody else. Sometimes. I'm not rebuilding the transmission right now, baby. Duct tape don't work that good on the transmission. And, uh, and so we, there's some jobs you just, you just gotta, you just gotta get some experts involved. And, uh, anyways, and so there were been some needs and, uh, one of them, whenever, you know, my, my, my dad, my father of invention, um, you know, one time I got a good, pretty good cut on my head. I was goofing around about five years old, jumped off of this spool thing and, uh, and it hit my head on a, on a boat propeller. It was out of the water and stationary, but it's, of course, you got a sharp edge. And open my open my scalp, and uh, well, my my dad he uh, you know was pre med and has a degree in biology and could have could have gone on not a nurse or anything but he he knew a few things so he knew it was you know head wounds bleeds not that big of a deal so he just shaves my head at five years old, tapes it closed, all was good, didn't have to go to the ER didn't have to deal with the doctor, all's good daddy steps in tape. Fixes it. Now that wasn't duct tape. It was tape. It was medical tape. And uh, and then there was another time that uh, my first bike I remember was this. Uh, uh, anybody remember the old school banana seat bikes? You know. And uh, so my first bike was a uh, was a banana seat bike, and uh, it was had a had a western motif and had like all these designs on it that were like, you know, like kind of like Lone Rangery type of deal. Well, the, the seat was supposed to look like a saddle, and uh, anyways, it got, it got tore up somehow. So, you know, you're sitting on it, and it's all of a sudden bare metal. Well, that's, that's not fun anymore. It's not fun to ride the bike anymore. So I'd come to my dad, like, Dad, I need a new seat. My dad is the father of invention. And so somehow he decides to get some, some materials together. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. If he just ha- keeps this stockpile of underwear, old underwear around or whatnot. But anyways, he builds a seat and has duct tape and just duct tapes. I'm, I'm telling all of a sudden, I went to a, it looked like a real saddle. You get enough cloth in there wrapped in duct tape. It's a real, it's not the little pointy banana seat anymore. I and mean, I think there was a saddle horn on that puppy and I cut a rope off of it. And uh, anyways, and, so, and then it, it spawned my own invention. Because you, you get that banana seat and then you get that tape wrapped around it all the way to the back. And it created this nice little cubby hole at the back of my seat. And I, you know, you're out riding around all the time and you get a little, get a little peckish, you get a little hungry. And so I decided I'd, I just would make my peanut butter sandwiches and I'd keep them up there in the seat. And, uh, and uh, that was my trunk and I'd be able to have my, have my stuff. You know, you don't think at all the way through. You know about you know sitting on your lunch. That's not necessarily a, a good idea, or, or reaching around to grab your something to eat. So that's not a that's not a good idea. But my dad, there was this this need, this this father of invent, this need that begins to step in, and it's that this gap has got to be filled. See, that's a God begin to look on humanity and begin to see his heart begin to say something had to happen. Something had to step in. Well, there was another time when I was a kid and I'm sure it was the exact same awesome bike. And uh, but we would, of course, do the thing where we would, you know, jump ramps and we would go and jump ramps. And we had a need. We had a need that needed to be fulfilled. We had the piece of wood. 
We had the alley to ride our bikes down and be out of the street and be able to jump the ramps, but we did not, we did not have something that was the right height to be able to jump the ramp. You get a cinder block and it was just too high and you just, we just weren't prepared for that. So we began to look around. I, me and my, my buddy that lived next door and uh, we're looking for something to be able to make this ramp out of. And for some reason, you know, when you're 10 or 11, you don't think things through all the way. Then we looked at his little sister. And uh, you know what? She's, she's about the right width. And uh, somehow we conned her. Now, we, we, you know, we were going the extra mile. I went and got my, you know, front doormat and laid it on the ground. And we had her lay on the ground. We got his front doormat, gave her a little cushion. And I uh, put it on there and then laid the wood on there. And she was our, she was our ramp. And I uh, went back up and ju- jumped off and used her to, to lift off, used her as our, as our ramp. See, when God looked down at humanity, he understood something. We look here at John 10, 10 and 11. It says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. It says, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, that's what Good Friday was about, is God saw that there was a need. God saw that something in in the scope of humanity had to be done different. The process was not working. Redemption was not taking place. There was nothing that fit. There was nothing that made it work. And Jesus came down in human form and he knew that he alone would fit the bill, that he could lay down and make it. To where we could be, <clears throat> have our, an opportunity to be catapulted from death into life. See, that's what Good Friday was all about. That's why Good Friday is so wonderfully good. And when you think about it, it seems like total agony and it's painful. And like when you watch The Passion of the Christ and you see what's all happening on that Friday. And the, the beatings and the nails and the, 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 the <clears throat> crown of thorns. I'm telling you, it is hard to watch. But the only way that you and I were going to get where we needed to be, where God wanted this story to go, was for His Son to be willing to lay down His life for us. And when we look at this and we see the story, that Jesus didn't just do that part. He went all the way. See, Jesus' life was fully laid down, even to the point, even to the point of total separation from God. Of total separation. I tell you what, separation is just one of the the worst things. It it, it is just incredibly lonely and scary. My first memorable example of being having that thing of that anxiety of being disconnected is our family went on a, a trip to Disney World. We go to Disney World. We're there at the Magic Kingdom, happiest place on earth, and and uh, you know, and then they their their hot rod ride there at the Magic Kingdom. The, the, the big, scary ride is, uh, is the Space Mountain. Well, at that point in my life, I did not like roller coasters. I really enjoy roller coasters now. And so I was about 10 or 11 years old, had two younger sisters that loved them and loved to give me a hard time that I was scared of them. And so we stand in the line. The lines are horribly long. So we stand in the line. We wait. My dad is just working, trying to get me to be willing to ride this ride. I'm like, nope, it's not happening, not happening. I don't want to ride it. 
No, I'm done. No. So they, we finally get up there. We get into, they get into the cars. And I do the thing where I get into the car and I get out of the car. I step and I said, I'm going to meet you down at the place where everybody gets off. And as we, as you know, they take off and go on their little, their little space mountain ride. And I go to where the cars are coming in and everybody's getting off. And I go and I stand there. Car comes in, nobody gets, I mean, people I don't know get out. Car comes in, people I don't know, over and over and over again. And, and you know, it's about a five-minute ride. It's not super long. And I was standing there for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, for 20 minutes. My parents are not getting off. I'm like, I knew those things were evil. The thing just, it just, it took them. It, it did something to them. They fell out. It's just, I knew, I knew I was smart to stay away from those things. And it's just, it was just this horrible pit that my, here comes these cars and none of them have my family in them. Well, then I knew, okay, at some point something went wrong. So then I go to look for my family and I'm going all over the place. Well, my parents, little did I know, there are two locations. There were two different rides and two different places where you get off. I just happen to go and wait at the wrong one. Well, my parents are get off of theirs and I'm not there. And they wait, and I'm not there, and I wait, and I'm not there. And pretty soon, when we, my mom finds me, it was not one of those beautiful reunions. <laughs> she was excited and ready to strangle me. And I didn't care. I was back with my family. Strangle me. Just keep me close. Because it was just horrible. Separation, it was just absolutely agonizing. And then years later... As, as Cutie and I were dating, and we got to spend an entire summer together, and I got to, had to be brought back from Odessa and come here, and, and we were now going to be separated by two hours of highway, and we <clears throat> watch her drive away. I'm telling you, it, I, I knew I was going to see her in a, the weekend. I knew I was. But it was just absolutely gut-wrenching. That separation was gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching for her. It was gut-wrenching for me. She had bad dreams about it for years, even after we were married. She'd wake up in the night remembering that time. Why? Because when you're designed to be, when, you're, when your hearts are knit together, that separation is absolute horrible. It is absolute agony. It is absolute agony. And see, and Jesus went the full distance because, see, hell is separation from God. It, that is what it is. You know, the Bible talks about the flames and all of those different things. You know, that, that's just bonus. That's just bonus. And then you want it. Yeah, no. But it's just added on. You know what? You remove all of that. And you be away from the God who loves you. And that is hell enough of its own. And here we have in Matthew 27, verse 46. It says, about the ninth hour. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus wasn't being dramatic. It was the truth. He had taken on all humanity's sin. And he was separated at that point from the presence of his father. I tell you what, you know what? We have never experienced that. I don't care how far you've run from God, how much you've thumbed your nose at God and said, God, I don't want you in my life. You have never experienced a second that the Holy Spirit wasn't there wooing you and drawing you in. You have never, ever known the absence of God. Ever. Ever. 
He has always been there. In your hardest times, in your most alone times, there has always been there. It's always been there. And here Jesus, is, just as he cries out, it's just almost caught off guard because he's never experienced it. He'd had perfect union with his father. In fact, he prayed that we would get to experience that kind of union. It was that sweet and that wonderful. It's heaven. It's perfect. And there he is, separated from God and seeing he feels nothing. He feels no presence, no nothing. And then out of that place, out of that place, then we see that Jesus does the same thing. That's the beauty of the Easter story. Is that Jesus steps over from death to life exactly like you and I will. Believing that God's word is true. You can have Because he didn't feel it. He didn't feel God's presence. He didn't feel all that. He had to go into that knowing that his daddy's word was true, that his daddy's word was real. See, Jesus lived out the way that you and I step over from death to life. See, Jesus died believing that God's word was trustworthy. See, in Psalm 16a, that we have this prophetic psalm looking forward towards Jesus. It says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This was spoken of him, and he knew that he could hang on that. You're not going to let the grave win. You're not going to let me see decay. I can go into this knowing you've got me. Whether I feel it or not, I can go into this knowing that you have got me. And then we see in Luke chapter 9, it says about eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes changed became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which was about to, <clears throat> to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. He knew what was up. He was looking forward to it. He knew what the, the promises that he had. But still in that moment of separation, it was like, oh, oh. But he, he committed and was stuck to the plan, knowing that his daddy was going to carry it through. See, Jesus spoke the greatest statement of faith that has ever, ever, ever been uttered. We see in Luke 23, it says, Now it was, <clears throat> it was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Remember, it was the ninth hour that he cries out, for the sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. There he is feeling forsaken, being forsaken, not having the presence of his daddy, not him not sitting there whispering into his ear, you know what, this is going to be good. I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. He's taking him at his word. 
And he says, you know what? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus did it totally in a place of faith. Totally in a place of faith. See, Jesus has not called us to live a life that he himself has not lived. Yes, he was the son of God, but he has lived this out. And we are to follow in his footsteps. See, there are leaders out there that simply point the way. And then there are leaders that lead because they just go the way. And then you see it happen and you kind of get in the middle of it. And then there are leaders that, that, <clears throat> that, that point and go. And they, they show the way. They coach you all the way through it. That was Jesus. Jesus went before us. And in that, he became the way. That's why he says, I am the way. And so then we get to that question of, okay, well, this is, he, he had to, he took this separation. He dealt with this physical agony. He was separated from his father, which is hell itself. So why? Why did he do it? Why was he willing to do it? What was keeping him at a place of having his courage up? Why did he keep going forward with it? Well, the thing was, is he saw things differently than everybody else. See, Pilate, one who Roman, <clears throat> who sentenced him to death, says, don't you know I have the power? He's like, you don't have any power over me. You don't have any power except what was given to you. Jesus said, I, I laid down my life and I can take it back up again. He saw things from a different perspective sometimes we can be we we can miss because of the the gruesomeness of the difficulty of something we can miss where it's going the uh my uh oldest daughter brooklyn i had uh, uh had my shot my first deer years and years ago and and uh, they'd never been had never been experienced i wasn't a accomplished hunter and uh had one deer to my name and and uh, Brooker's was real little. She was about two or three years old. So I didn't know if she was going to freak out over this deer. So I, cause I take it home and I'm handling the processing of it myself. And so, she, you know, she ends up seeing it and it doesn't bother her. I'm like, okay, cool. And she actually ends up at, you know, three years old. She just eats her cereal and watches me skin it and do all that stuff. She's just eating along. No big deal. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, it's my girl. And um, so a couple of years later... You know, she, I would, at that point, I began to get a deer every year and begin to get a deer. And her favorite meat became deer. She just really enjoyed it, looked forward to it all the time. And so a couple of years later, she's about six or seven years old. And I've got this deer on the back porch again, and, and I am uh, skinning it. And it's, you know, it's not a pretty sight. You know, you're... You're just skinning this deer, and this is a lot of little girls would be squeamish or turn away. And she comes up there, and then I'm skinning it, and she says, Man, Daddy, that deer looks delicious. <laughs> awesome, yes. Because she did not see that she saw through the gruesomeness. It still had its little doe head on it. You know, has a little tongue. Sorry, babe. You know, there was plenty of things that could have squeamished her out. But what she saw, she saw that 
chicken fried backstrap. She saw something delicious. She saw something else. She saw something different. See, when Jesus was going through that, when Jesus was pursuing the cross, he pursued it. He set his heart towards Jerusalem and they could not turn him away. He knew what was waiting for him. And as he did that, he saw something others didn't see. I love the place in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where he's taking the initial beating with those flexible rods. And they think they're done. And he just stands back up and is willing to keep going. It wasn't finished. He was going to make sure it went all the way to where it was finished. See, Jesus, what he was looking, he didn't see the gruesomeness. He didn't just see the pain. He had a desire. And his desire was to make all things new. See, our new life was accomplished by his resurrection.
just know the power that to me. God, how can this be your will to have yourself? Whatever happens, whatever happens, you see, I don't want to see. Whatever your eyes tell you has become of me. This is not. Tell me it's not. It's not the end. I am making all things new. on the throne said I am making everything new and he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and 2 Corinthians 5.17 says so that if anyone is in Christ that one is a new creature old things have passed away and behold all things have become new in Romans 6 says that just as Christ was, ra- <clears throat> was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, he did it all. He did it all for the joy of you and I being free to have a real relationship with God again. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we were inserted into God's story because as he went to the cross... He was looking towards you and I. And it was a joyous thing to him. It was worth it for you and I to be reconnected with our Father. That 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 distance would no longer have to be there. That the agony of separation could go away. That the gap could be closed. He was joyful. He was excited. He was went to it with purpose 
and did it for the joy that was set before him. And see, in this moment of history, this moment of God's story being played out right here and right now, let's choose to give God the happy ending to his story that he so desires. And that's simply us. He did it for us. He did it so that you and I could be reconnected with him. That there wouldn't be anything standing in the way. We just finished a series called Freedom. Where we looked at that he even took care of all of the religious garbage that gets in the way and stands in between us and God. He dealt with our sin and our everything that gets in the way on that end and all the religious junk that gets in the way on the other end and just made it 100% about relationship. I want you, is what he was saying. That's it. And all we do, and people say, it's just too simple. It wasn't simple. You know what he did? That wasn't simple. But he made it simple for us. And us just say, you know what? Thank you. I'll take it. And I'll give you me. That's where we are this morning. We're at that moment where all of us have a little something more to give. We come to Christ in a moment. And we keep giving ourselves to him moment by moment. I don't care if you've been walking with God all your life or if you got drugged here by somebody today. And you know, this is the first you've ever heard of it. We all are at a place where you can say, you know what? I want to give you a little bit more. I want to give you this struggle. I want to give you this frustration. It's part of me and I'm going to give you me. And let him come in by the power of his resurrection and change it. We can't do it. That's why it took something as earth shattering as his resurrection to be able to break the death cycle in our lives and bring in a cycle of life. I'd appreciate it if everybody would just bow your heads in this moment.